This podcast is brought to you by Infinite Resources, a local staffing agency connecting diverse job candidates and central Iowa companies. Amplified. Welcome, everybody, to the Amner Martinez podcast. In this episode, I had the pleasure to speak with Angela Williams. She is a consultant for DEI, and we spoke about the dynamics of this DEI world of um, how to approach and what not to do and, and the sensibility uh, of both parties um, and microaggressions. And, um, you know, we talked about a range of things. Um, so I hope you like this episode. I'm not going to make this intro too long because this conversation is very important for anybody that's in the DEI world that is uh, looking for allies and looking for more wisdom, Angela Williams is the person to, to talk to. So we'll put all of her contact information uh, and links on this episode. So share it, comment, and let us know what you think. So thank you for listening or watching, and we'll see you next time. This is Angela Williams on the Amner Martinez podcast. Uh, we're bridging the gaps. Yeah, the yeah. So, one question that it's like always um, put in front of people, or like a rebuttal of like, it's everything about race, right? Like some yeah. people say that. What do you say to people when they say that? Like when the, when the, does everything have to be about race? <laughs> I unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, I should say, on many occasions. Most of the time, race can be a factor. Mm -hmm. Or I'll put it this way, it can be a perception mm -hmm. as a factor. And perceptions often can be reality. Mm -hmm. um, it can be something as simple as being in the come and go or a grocery store, you know, mm -hmm. and you're paying for your things. I've actually had it happen to me recently. And you're sitting your things on the counter And someone that's in line behind you just moves ahead and places their things there as well. Mm -hmm. While you're trying to do your PIN number, which is private, mm -hmm. you know, but it didn't matter. They mm -hmm. wanted to sit their things there. So oftentimes there can be perceptions that it didn't matter that I'm standing here. Mm. Was it because of who I am as mm -hmm. a black woman? Mm -hmm. You know, and perhaps it's not. Mm -hmm. You know, it's one of those questions that only the person who's perceiving it and the person uh, with the action. I see, I see. You know, so yeah. kind of one of those tough ones. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. because, uh, you know, the some arguments are that, right? That that people say, does everything have to be about race? Um, and, you know, I... It's hard to find something that is, that is <laughs> that isn't sometimes, yes. um, but uh, people kind of, you told me about this where they kind of flip it on you. And um, yes. can we talk about that a little bit? Yes. Yes. It's a term that I learned. I love to look at a lot of TED Talks and with having my platform, I do a lot of research and mm -hmm. the news is there constantly about some level of unjust uh, actions and black, brown, mm -hmm. LGBTQ community, women, equal pay. But it's a term I learned that's called DARVA. It 
It's an acronym for deny, attack, reverse the victim as the offender. Darvo. D-A-R-V as in Victor for the victim. Uh So Darvo would look something like someone said, oh, you did a wonderful speech, Angie, and you spoke so well. Well, that can feel very offensive. I'm an educated mm-hmm. woman. I did research. I knew my facts. Um, I didn't just wake up and do this phenomenal speech. Mm-hmm. I, I put some blood equity in, into uh-huh. it, you know. So what what were you expecting? And so if I approached that individual to say that I was a bit offended by it or you hurt my feelings by saying that, the scenario could be, well, deny. I would never do that to hurt your feelings Uh i'm your friend attack why in the world would you think i would do that after all of these years of us working together Uh knowing each other right reverse you know you've really offended me now by saying that i mean me hello it's me so now they're the victim Mm. you know oh my god how could you ever say that mm-hmm. after everything we've been through? So the role is getting reversed now. And oftentimes the person who was a true victim can feel confused. Well, was I the wrong? Did I take it the wrong way? Mm-hmm. Even though they were offended. Right, right. You know, so, you know, that can tie into, which I'm certainly far from being an expert, ties into mental health issues, the stress levels, anxiety that could bring along with that. Or making a decision, and next time someone says something along Should those I lines, something? let me not say anything. Let me bottle just, it in. Let me bottle it and just suffer in silence. Yeah. yeah. Um, because they're so. Um, is this what people would call like microaggressions? Is that that the yes. term that would like someone's like so articulate? Yes. Right. So you spoke so well, and it's. Uh, yes. Um. Uh. I mean, what were you expecting? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I was on a conference call once and with a previous employer, predominantly uh, white co-workers, and we looked at a video in this meeting, African-American woman who was some level of an economic statistician. So the woman probably was smarter than anyone on the call, actually. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that comment was made after we critiqued it and debriefed after uh, someone made that comment. They know, said. That I, I was surprised she spoke so well. Mm. And, you know, I addressed it after the call, you know, with one of the leaders on the call, mm-hmm. who, in fact, agreed with me. Mm-hmm. That, that statement was uncomfortable for her. She was a non-minority as well, uh-huh. and a leader, yet chose not to say anything mm-hmm. or re- correct it mm-hmm. at that time. So, you know, it's like you, you've got children, you know, I've mm-hmm. got children, and yeah. if they break the lamp now, you don't punish them next week. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to have the conversation now about what they did mm. and the consequences behind more often than not, I think people feel like you're calling them out, and in some cases that may be necessary. I choose to call people in mm-hmm. whenever necessary by educating them. Which is also, that puts the responsibility on the person that 
yes. was the receiver of like making this not uncomfortable yes. for you too. Yes, absolutely. That's such a weird dynamic, right? Like yeah. you offended me, but now I have to be really careful about how I approach you about this because I don't want to make you yes. uncomfortable. Yes, exactly. From That could be from my hair mm-hmm. that you hear about. I mean, we're natural hair. We hear about that, mm-hmm. that all of the time. Um, we've got a news article going on now with a young man who's failing miserably in class because they keep suspending him because of the braids in his hair. Mm. Now, why do we have to go through that? Um, I've been in situations where folks have asked me, can they touch my hair? Mm. Strangers. Uh-huh. When, it, when, it, when is that ever okay? Yeah, why? why um, because it's different. Mm. So, okay, yours is different too, but I'm not going to ask you, can I touch your personal being? Right. You know, get in your personal space. When did you start getting into this type of work? So you work in the DEI mm-hmm. world, I guess, let's call it, because it's a... Uh, uh, um, how did you how did you get into it or like do you it's just been part of your life like a combination of things i i'd say it came more to the forefront after george floyd quite mm-hmm. honestly um i um, was born and raised on the south side of chicago mm-hmm. um I, my family purchased a home uh two flat brownstone maybe we in the 60s when we were maybe the third or fourth black family to move into what I later would learn is a redlined mm-hmm, <laughs> community, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, which is prominent here in Des Moines as well. Yeah. Any Let major me move city. Your mic. Oh, there you go. okay, right there, right there, right there. gotcha. Yeah, yeah. and um, so I've always lived it to a degree. Mm-hmm. You know, um, raising three sons. Mm-hmm. You know, um, from boys to men, and watching years of unjust situations happening mm-hmm. i've been involved in certain things maybe in my church or that kind of thing but after george floyd it just really shook me you know as you mentioned how you it, that build up mm-hmm. if you will mm-hmm. and to see and this i'm looking at this man who looks like one of my adult sons mm-hmm. who's no one can help you know they can't approach these officers you know, mm-hmm. and stop what the whole world saw happening, which was unjust behavior. And for me, it really stood out, again, not only coming from Chicago at that particular time, having a brother, having a stepson, having black nephews mm-hmm. in the Twin Cities mm-hmm. who live there in and around, mm-hmm. here in Des Moines, still in Chicago, major cities where these types of things are not uh, that happen um, are not unusual, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it happened, and we're seeing it on the news. And at the time, the company I worked for it was maybe myself and one other person of color, and no one said anything. Leadership, mm-hmm. you know, no coworkers said anything. Um, I essentially suffered in silence for a couple of weeks, and uh, during an all-staff meeting, they decided to mention, oh, we've heard about George Floyd, Mm -hmm. we sent our condolences, et cetera, et cetera, gave us an opportunity to share how we felt, and that's exactly what I did. I took that opportunity to share exactly what I just said, 
you know, my own lived experiences and how disappointing it was mm-hmm. that at least it wasn't acknowledged for those, I wouldn't even say handful of minorities mm-hmm. that are there, you know. So after having that conversation, many of my non-minority peers began to reach out to me individually. Can I talk to you? How can I be an ally? How can you help educate me? I want to be better. I want to learn more. And it just made sense. I was excited and I was thrilled, happy to do it, but it just made sense to bring a group together Mm. versus all of these individual one-offs and which, of course, I was happy to do that as well. So I had an epiphany, you know, let's do a, an affinity group here. I'll schedule it, it at the end of the week at lunch hour. Invite everyone, no pressure, whoever wants to come, learn. I usually discuss a couple of topics, something mm-hmm. in the news, but I'd also share information and provide links to go and educate yourselves as well whether it was prominent African-American movies, mm-hmm. um, something um, that's related to pay equity, as you mentioned, microaggressions. Aggressions, I did a segment on that. Mm-hmm. You know, just various things that touch us in our uh, community. Mm-hmm. And it just grew into me building a website, right. LLC, getting involved in the community. I've gone over to Grandview University, talked mm-hmm. to a couple of uh, classes over there. And as you're aware, most recently was involved with the Ankeny Chamber mm-hmm. um, for their minority-owned mm-hmm. business summit. So it's just been great. You know, yeah. it's lived uh, experience personally and professionally. And I've seen things in the 70s or 80s before the video cameras mm. that I'm still seeing today. Yeah. And it's almost some of the things that I'm seeing are opening old wounds, if mm-hmm. you will. So I want to help. If it's opening old wounds for me, wherever I can educate and help prevent it, but also help those others to heal, if you will. Mm-hmm. You know, Tulsa. Right. I saw a series last night. Uh, they're trying to rebuild Tulsa, mm. and they started a series with the uh, host, uh, the actor Morris Chestnut. Okay. And they're trying to rebuild it. You know, that was a strong, rich in culture population in Tulsa, Oklahoma in 1921, with roughly 40 blocks that's been reduced to maybe mm-hmm, four mm-hmm. because it was destroyed. You right. Know? So to watch that and that history try the, to revitalize the new york times has this very cool website have you seen it i'm not you sure gotta, which one you gotta you gotta look at it so you go to the new york times mm-hmm. and it's uh tulsa where they used to be called the black wall, wall street. street black wall street and it's this virtual tour that like you can really sc- walk through the not walk but like scroll through the streets and the businesses that were there pop up and it's yes you have to you have to see it if you haven't Uh, you're gonna love it um you know uh uh, so that sounds very uh exciting Mm -hmm. to hear that Mm -hmm. but i wanted to ask you something and you don't have to answer it sure um, sure. but you're the mother of three men um uh and obviously this um, the killings of black men is uh, 
like you said, it's now it's just being shown on video. So it's been happening since the conception of this country. Um, at what point as a black mother to black children, uh, boys, at what point does the mother start to get concerned of, of, of the, um, yes. When do you, when does your fear start to kick in? How about the day you take them home? <laughs> Pretty much. And the reason I'll say that, not all, I'll also mention, not only do I have three sons, I have one sister. She has five mm. boys. So pretty much we, we're a village, if you will. Right. So we're talking eight now, mm. plus a little brother who is in that age group. Mm -hmm. That's nine. Mm. So we were always kind of that village now. Mm. We always taught them the importance of the fear of God, education, doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. But we also had to have the talk with them. I'm sure you've heard mm -hmm. that phrase yeah. of how to, what to say, and how to avoid interactions with the police. Mm -hmm. So this was pre-George Floyd. Right. Yes. And what really was striking for me after George Floyd is I got a memory of that. Wow, I'm teaching them at five, six, seven. I taught them very young. Those are the ages I had to work. They had to walk to school. Mm. It's also the talks about, you know, staying away from the bad crowd that every parent has, no right. matter your race, creed, or color. Right. But it's a different line to, yeah, talk about that, but to also be very clear about how you interact with the police. If they stop you, regardless if you're doing something, just say, yes, sir. Mm -hmm. If they ask for your book bag, just give it to them. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter. Mm -hmm. Say, yes, sir, regardless if you've done the right mm -hmm. thing or not. And that's tough for mm -hmm. a mother to have to say that, to tell your child to, back to Darvo, to kind of suppress mm -hmm. your right to share being treated unfairly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'd say for mine, maybe around six or seven. That's wow. school age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you, and you uh, 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 South of Chicago is not necessarily known for being, uh, mm -hmm. it, it's a high crime or like what is, what's the, I know we talked about Chicago <laughs> a little bit and mm -hmm. this might be a bit of a, mm -hmm. uh, but the, the reputation that, that South of Chicago has, mm -hmm. uh, is it, um, how is it? You're from there. Tell me tell me about the south side of Chicago. I'll tell you two or three sides of Chicago. My era growing up, vibrant on the south side of Chicago. Mm -hmm. And my parents were homeowners. As time went on and it became more of an African-American community, we, it was still family-focused, family-oriented. Mm -hmm. Hey, if your neighbor saw you doing something wrong, you were afraid they were going to tell your parents. You know, it was that type of village, mm -hmm. block parties every summer. None of the gang violence and shootings mm -hmm. in my era when I grew up. So the media also can give you a depiction of something mm -hmm. that they haven't lived, mm -hmm. you know? Sure. And now, will I say things have changed? Absolutely. The same home that I grew up in, you know, while we talk generational wealth and oftentimes friends of mine or colleagues that still live in homes they were raised in or purchased them, 
that's not necessarily doable in my situation mm. because crime has shifted. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because the blocks in the communities still beautiful. It's mm-hmm. just when you have businesses to just board up and leave mm. and go to other cities mm. or the other net surrounding yeah. communities and suburbs. Um, I remember in the 70s, friends, parents showing up to the steel mill industry was very popular. Mm. They'd show up to work and there were physical chains mm. on the doors mm. of their employees. So a lot of com- uh, industries moved out Yes. Business moved down. How much did the epidemic, the crack epidemic, play a role in, in, in Chicago? Um, well, I certainly would say I'm an expert per se, sure. but uh, to the degree, and maybe in a degree I am because I saw what it did to my communities, mm-hmm. including friends and members of my own family mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that had successful, you know, productive lives and families mm-hmm. lose some of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't pinpoint what caused it. Um, it went from, hey, cocaine is supposed to be flashy. That was the f- more wealthier, yes. fluent clientele of Chicago, North Side, the mm-hmm. high rises, Lakeshore right. Drive. And then when they came into this cheaper version and then also caused a steeper pen- penalization right. of having it. Right. I don't know, it just seems like folks fall into despair right. is what I saw. The same amount of cocaine and the same amount of crack would give, it's a, the penal is different. Because yes. And this yes. is kind of circling back a little bit about um, the first question was like, it's everything about race, but like, yeah, there's it's documented now that, that there was, the government has something to do with the crack epidemic. It's been documented like that redlining real estate is, is uh, um yeah is it's, r- it's real. a real thing it's, it's not real. a it's i'm a product of it yes. so don't tell me it's not real yeah i am a product of it mm. and uh, again the story that i said about not being able if i hit that j- the power ball that everyone's rushing to try to pay play uh-huh. now you know yes i would love to invest in that community is it today as safe a place for my grandchildren to mm-hmm. visit as it was when I was a girl growing mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. And those answers are very different mm-hmm. today. Yeah. Um, you mentioned government, you know, you can't help but think, where are our dollars being invested in our communities? Mm-hmm. You know, we help other countries, and I believe in helping other countries. Right. I'm compassionate for other countries' plights. I also, my um, I remember an aunt telling me a long time ago, baby, you got to take care of yourself. If you don't take care mm-hmm. of yourself, how are you going to help, help others? others? Yeah. So, you know, it, it's that passion at mm-hmm. home also. Mm-hmm, you know? mm-hmm. So we see our downtowns, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, there's no particular color ban on our homeless, but it's an issue. Mm-hmm. So, again, our video cameras are showing more about what's happening, and these are things that I've always seen all my life. Yeah. It's been happening. Now it's just being recorded, and then now the world's getting to see it. Yes. Yeah. Well, even the recordings sometimes don't matter, right? I know. Circling to the question was, you know, um, there's so much trauma and I would say some anger and some resentment and in this world that, that then 
uh, it's landing on a lot of people of color, mostly yes. black people, to be the head of this conversation. Yeah. Right. The educators. Yes. Yes. And then, not only that, but then you have to approach it with a very uh, delicate, because. Yes. Don't make people, you know, so that's such a fine thing to have to do. Mm-hmm. Shouldn't we just be able to be like, you're about to get really uncomfortable and. Yes. Who cares? Like, you need to hear this. Isn't that an also an approach? No, right? <laughs> I, well, to certainly <laughs> intimidate some. Mm. My approach, and, and you're absolutely right. My approach has been being just blatantly transparent. Mm -hmm. I am here to educate. Mm. I am not here to offend Mm -hmm. or point the finger. But please understand that the topics at hand will be sensitive and oftentimes will be uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. That leaves that audience an opportunity, a decision to make if they can handle that or if they can't. Mm-hmm. No one's in hostage, you know. So I th- that's my approach, and that has tended to work, mm-hmm. to engage mm-hmm. encouragement. I also find there's so many different video clips out there because initially in this journey, it was like pulling teeth to get people to talk, mm-hmm. particularly my white peers or allies mm-hmm. uh, because they didn't want to make people feel uncomfortable mm-hmm. either or feel like they were asking dumb questions mm-hmm. or making comments such as I had someone wants to say, well, I don't see color. Mm-hmm. So that helped open to a door for a conversation about how often that can be offensive as well. Mm-hmm. What do you mean you don't see color? Yeah. What do you see? What did you see when I walked in the room? Before I opened my mouth, mm-hmm. you saw a black woman walk in the room. Mm-hmm. So please don't say yeah, you okay. didn't see. That's okay to say that. Yeah. That's who I am. I'm yeah. proud of that. To say I don't see color can have some feel as though you don't see me. Mm-hmm. who I am right. as a person. Mm-hmm. I am a person of color. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah. It, it, Amer- the term African-American, black, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think I w- sometime a few years ago, somebody tried to make me kind of feel like, no, say African-American. I'm like, no, it's uh, black. Like, I'm not meaning uh, in a bad way. It's like black person, right? Is there is there preference there? Individual preference. Individual preference. Okay, okay, okay. It's individual preference. Okay. Because I've heard, I've got a sister who says, I'm black. I've mm-hmm. got a brother who says, either or. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. it's up to the individual mm-hmm, preference. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But if you think at the historical contents, mm-hmm, yeah. it's like there were so many from the derogatory names yeah. of colored, uh-huh, uh-huh. you know, all the way through Negro. Uh-huh. Then Afro, then you still have Afro-Caribbean, Mm Afro-Latina, you know. And so we have been, in my humble opinion, one of the few races that's had so many different. So Mm -hmm. I've heard people say, from the most part, it's a preference. Mm -hmm. And being asked, you know, would you prefer Uh, African-American versus black? Yeah. Yeah. And that's the type of conversation that you should be able to have with people. Yes, absolutely, without offending. Without, and know. guess what? For the most part, I'm not the majority, mm-hmm. and 
the be all of the end all in answering that, but I feel comfortable in saying people would be okay with that. Mm-hmm. Ask me. Mm. You know? Just people don't. I don't bite. <laughs> yeah. People don't want to get uncomfortable. Yeah. They don't want to be wrong. They just want to like. Be but safe. then, oftentimes, they make assumptions, which mm-hmm. turns into something that mm-hmm. doesn't turn out too well. Either. Right. 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 Yep. It's interesting how um, the traditionally like <clears throat> group that is being the on the side of the oppressor or, you know, on the advent privilege, advantage, you know, race. Mm -hmm. Somehow it has to be catered to. Um, Why is that? You know, you made me think about a nephew I'd heard recently. I think it happened a couple years ago. A couple of nephews Mm -hmm. of mine, uh, elementary age, same dad, different mothers. One Blonde hair, light skin. The other, darker, thicker, coarser hair. Mm -hmm. They're in the same school. They're in the playground. They have a scuffle. They call each other names they shouldn't have. They both are sent to the principal's office. But then, from what I understand, the principal was really, really harsh on the darker one Mm -hmm. about the name calling. Mm -hmm. And it took the lighter one to say, wait a minute. I called him the same thing. Mm. We're brothers. She had no idea. Mm. She saw a black and a white kid. And she was the principal. So, (laughs) assumptions. It's in our DNA, isn't it? Yeah. We're products of our childhood. And some of it is because of that lack of knowledge. Mm. You know, we know what we know. If you're Mm -hmm. raised in an all-black community... Mm-hmm. I was pretty much. I heard things. I had my own biases too that I've had to learn mm-hmm. to get past with assumptions. Right. You know, because this is all we know when we're siloed. Mm. You know, I'm trying to break some of those silos yeah. to understand that we have more similarities than we have differences. Yeah. You know, disease. Uh, the IRS doesn't care what color you are, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know. So you know, let let's break those boundaries if we, whenever we can. Yeah, yeah. it it's uh it, it's a it's a type of work that you know is a lot of energies gets goes into it and it's dissolution because you kind of almost feel like am I making any progress here? Did I make any impact? Yes. Um, Did I offend someone? Yeah, that still comes up even for me. Mm. When your group's lunch and learns go from 25, then all of a sudden in six months down to maybe five or six. Mm. And then you get a little, it's like the stages of grief. Mm-hmm. And I guess it is, you mm-hmm. know, now that I hear myself saying that, you <laughs> yeah. know, you, you feel a little angry. Well, they were never interested. Mm. Or then you feel like, well, did I do something wrong could I have said something differently and you know you try to find and make excuses Mm -hmm. and then you start feeling sad you mourn a little bit you know and then for me you have to take a step back sometimes regroup revamp re-energize because that can be very emotionally draining for me Mm -hmm. I do research I want to bring facts Mm -hmm. I want to bring data to the table when I can um, for example, 
when we're talking populations with policing. Here in Iowa, the black population is roughly 4%, but the incarceration rate for black people is about 26. I'm not a mathematician, but mm-hmm. those numbers are pretty staggering mm. and, and can be heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you have to re-energize yourself. You have to look at it from a broad perspective. I have to step into other shoes. Mm. And I have a family of what I like to call a rainbow coalition. I mm-hmm. have biracial nieces, nephews, you know, as I just mentioned, grandchildren, love them all. Mm-hmm. You know, in-laws, love them all. But... Do we run across learning curves sometimes? I say yes, sometimes. Uh, from an adult, I'd say more from an adult perspective than the kids, because the kids, this is who they are. Mm-hmm. You know, they just come into this natural, natural interconnection and in, interconnectivity. Mm-hmm. Whereas adults, when we begin to blend out of different cultures and backgrounds, it's a bit of a learning curve. Mm-hmm. But you know what? It happens easily. If you're willing to learn and ask questions and be open to change, because mm-hmm. that's simply what it is, changing some of the things we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so some of the, so we were at the Ankeny Chamber and you gave a class and I, I enjoyed like the, the approach and the tone of your, of the, it's so about an hour of like, so what's like a one-on-one on, on, on DEI that, you know, if if somebody was to say, Angie, come to our office and give us some, uh, you know, your services, mm-hmm. wh- how, how do you start? Well, I always ask about, I look at what type of service it is. Okay. You know, again, I mentioned Grandview. Well, my focus and presentation with them was dealing with acad- the challenges for minorities in academia. Mm-hmm. And I began by talking about where it starts from grade school. Mm-hmm. Again, where there are alarming numbers of African-American kids being highly suspended mm. from school, mm-hmm. which sets the pace before they even get to high school. Mm-hmm. By the time they get to high school, they've already got a record of being suspended for frivolous things more often than not. And so now they begin to get suspended in high school and begin to feel like, hey, I'm behind. I'm not up to speed with Mm -hmm. the rest of the kids. Why bother? Mm -hmm. Thus, the dropout rate becomes higher. Mm -hmm. So I like to frame my presentations and discussions, whether one-on-one or in a group, Mm -hmm. based on the need of the individual. Okay. You know, if it's the basic history, our history, I have an Ancestry.com uh, site with my family where I was able to trace back to 1874. That was awesome. Mm. But unfortunately for us and during that time, there wasn't a lot of documentation mm-hmm. about our history. 1874, so that is how many years ago? Wow. Well, um, the emancipation. Haitian proclamation was the end of slavery was 1865. So it was maybe 10 years or so after. But I may have seen one or so that was somewhere in that 60, 1860s. That is wild that 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 has taken place, right? Like humanity, we have, we're as beautiful as we are, we're horrible. Like we're uh, monsters. 
Yeah, and I can't reach back and find that history. Mm-hmm. We as an African-American black group, our history gets cut off, including mm. our birth. Mm-hmm. There were midwives. They documented things caught fire. Mm. We, we were bought and sold, so we were simply a receipt. Mm. How many of your receipts do you keep for mm. years? Mm. You know, and um, yeah. How was that experience for you going through the through that uh, uh, discovery? How, how was emotionally? How was that? It was very emotional, particularly because I asked my mother, my dad. I lost him almost ten years ago, but I asked my mom and my aunt, her sister, mm-hmm. at the time, a lot of questions, you know, so that I could dig further and mm-hmm. further and further. And so it became emotional to hear some of their stories, you mm-hmm. know, because this is their grandmother or their great grandmother, and mm-hmm. you know, and these were tough, strong women, you know, who ruled with an iron fist, you know, the fear of God and Mm -hmm. hardworking and growing up in rural Arkansas or my dad's family out of rural uh, Mississippi and how my mom's parents migrated to Chicago and then brought her and her siblings when she was around the age of 11 years. You know, my mm. mom's 88 years old today. She will not leave the Chicago area. Uh, I cannot convince her. But, yeah. hey, thank God she still gets in her car. She's still active. Mm. So we don't pressure her. Well, we can't. Mm-hmm, <laughs> She's mm-hmm. tough. So, yeah, to hear, those, you know, where our roots are, where we came from, you know, is just astounding. You know, when I go through challenges where I feel – treatment isn't equitable in my professional career or pay disparities or anything that microaggressions perhaps Mm -hmm. that I face. Um, Like in my home office, I keep pictures of my great-grandmother, my Mm -hmm. mother, Mm -hmm. my grandmother. In those days that I want to scream, I look at those women Mm -hmm. and I realize they never even got a degree. I've got Mm -hmm. two. Mm -hmm. That how proud I know they are, you Mm -hmm. know, and the things that they've gone through, you know, mm-hmm. my great grandmother in the South cleaning the homes of white homeowners mm-hmm. and didn't own her own. And yet here I've been blessed to have purchased three different times. Mm-hmm. Yes, I know she's proud of that. So those things keep me going. Mm-hmm. You know, they can bring tears, they can make me oftentimes feel very sad, but then I look at them and say, nope. Strength. You know, that strength came mm. from what you went through. And yeah. I think that's, you know, we're the uh, people that are in DEI, they're probably more equipped because of the experience. Absolutely. Right? And uh, that's probably, now that I hear you talk, it's like, who else could educate but the person that has been through it and has the background and the blood and the... Uh, memories too right like i interviewed jonathan buffalo he's uh, one of the elders of the miskwaki tribe oh. uh it was a beautiful conversation and uh just what you would think you would when you talk to a native american that's how yes. it went and but he said you know we remember the cyber tooth and the mammoths like that we've been here since the ice age so he says that yes. the, those memories have been passed down to yes. 
So um, this gets passed down too, right? Yes. Like memories, good and bad, and trauma, generation. That's where the generational trauma comes into play. But I don't know if people understand. I think they just roll their eyes sometimes when they hear that. But it's real. It is. It is very real. It's not just a cliche mm. to say, you know, you don't know where you're going if you don't know where you've been. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, I think that's a challenge. You know, more often than not, again, as we've touched Chicago, you hear so much media news about the uh-huh. bad things in Chicago. Well, guess what? I hear about bad things that happen here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's everywhere. Yeah. Bad people are everywhere. Right. Bad situations. I, I understand there's perhaps a larger focus on Chicago, New York, Miami, the larger cities. But there are larger cities with fewer resources as well. Mm-hmm. I grew up in an era of YMCAs that we had to go to that were safe places that didn't have to be labeled mm-hmm. safe places. Mm. And then by the time I was a teenager, there was just an empty, dried-up pool at that same YMCA because of a lack of resources. Mm-hmm. So when you don't have access then oftentimes you create your own way of amusing yourself, entertaining yourself, making a living. It's not always the right decision, but it's a domino effect. You said something that made me think of like the perception of like crime. Crime is not a, uh, a bad person is a bad person because they're a bad person, not because they're brown or black or, you know, any, like it's, it w- it's not synonymous with an, with yes. a race, but but there was a time. Uh, I mean, I remember I was in California when Rodney King, yes. you know, uh, happened, and and there was a time where it was synonymous with either Latinos or blacks. Yes. And then I remember this is a personal memory of mine that I'm like. When you're watching the news and you, you know, local news, right, and you hear something's bad happening and then they're about to put a mugshot and you're like, oh, don't let it be. Yes. And they're like, oh, it's a Latino, damn yes. it. Yes. Like, yes. You, you have, you've had that feeling too, like. Absolutely. Right? And then it's like, why? Like, it's not. And then that just reinforced the fears of, of, yes. of people that are not, you know, people of color. And so. Do you feel like that that's kind of uh I don't know if I feel that same that same way that I used to like in the 90s and early 2000s. Do you think that's making any progress a little bit of like crime being synonymous with people of color? Yes. I think <laughs> I think I think there <laughs> might be a slight shift because again the media is just showing so much of what's truly happening. Mhm mhm. But I was a bit hesitant, in all honesty. Perhaps it's a bit of bias myself, again, Mm -hmm. in my own experiences. Because, again, when a Latino man who has tats Mm -hmm. or a black man who has tats and six feet two Mm -hmm. and, you know, kind of a, a mohawk haircut walks into the room, Will there still be a pause? Mm. Absolutely. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And they could be CEOs of a startup tech fund and millionaires. Mm. Appearances also, you know, create assumptions. Yeah. 
you know, so that has to tie back into our color as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. I added the tattoos and the mohawks, but, mm-hmm. you know, it's still about that appearance. Yeah. So some people are going to always feel that way. Uh-huh. You know, as a woman, I'm going to be conscientious if it's 10 o'clock at night and I'm kind of in it going through the Walmart parking lot. And I see a couple of guys, I don't care what your color is, you're a man (laughs) coming in my direction, you know. So that's one scenario. But, yeah, unfortunately, we have a long way to go. Yeah. A long way to go. And some people are still stuck in their frame of thinking, Mm -hmm. you know, that we have a certain place as black and brown people in America. Mm -hmm. And no matter what you do or say, that's not going to change. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about... uh, allyship uh because uh there's some people that mean well and they want to you know be allies uh and they they kind of get it right and then there's some that are like overzealous like they're overdoing it yes Yes. so um what's an advice to (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean some balance there has to be a little balance right because i can overdo it too if if uh, you know yes uh, yes, I but know. That's a tough balance for for somebody that that that's really trying to um, help, yes. but also you're not helping by help. Yes. What 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 uh, do you talk to? What 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 do you say to to people that are uh, wanting to? Well, number one, educate yourself, and mm-hmm. it says we touched on earlier too. Don't be afraid to ask the question. Mm-hmm. It's not the question. Is the delivery of the mm. question. Okay, yes. You know what I mean? Again, back to microaggressions with the hair. It's okay to ask and be curious. How did you get those braids? That's an interesting hairdo. Those kinds of questions are okay. But to approach a black woman and say, is that really your hair? Is uh, that real? Uh-huh. That's a problem uh, for any woman. We're not the only women yeah, that yeah. do different things with our hairstyles. Yeah. So it isolates us. It secludes us. It's okay to be an ally and ask, what do you need me to do to uh-huh. be an ally? Mm-hmm. I would say, other than education, you touched on earlier, you know, I think we get drained in the workplace, in our communities, just because we're black and the only that we have all the answers about mm. everything that's going on in the black community. Mm-hmm. The things I've talked to you about, I researched as well. Mm. I did some homework. Uh. I wasn't around in 1921 for Tulsa. Right. I did some research. Mm. So I share, do the same thing. Mm. Um, in terms of trying to be overly, overly sometimes can be those comments. Well, I've got a black or brown neighbor, uh. or I've got black co-workers, those things cause pause. You mm. think you're trying to show, again, I don't see color. Sometimes that can be more offensive mm. than it is helpful. Mm-hmm. You don't get it, but ask if it's offensive or someone to tell you, don't go Darvo on me. Mm. Hear what I'm saying mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because I'm still educating you. I'm calling you in. 
and be willing to hear me and understand that. Be willing to like step in and ask the question and be be ready to feel an urge of awkwardness. Yes. Like a, a, an oozing of like shit. Am I, yes. you know, like that's okay I, too, right? It's okay. I'm not beating you up. Yeah. I'm calling you in. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that you, you, we can't do better unless we know better, mm. you know? And that's the point. You know, you, you, you have to understand this is always going to be uncomfortable. It's always going to mm-hmm. be difficult, but you got to educate yourself. You got to be willing to be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. You got to be willing to change your way of thinking. Mm-hmm. Change is inevitable. Growth is optional. Mm-hmm. So, again, it's about an option to change your mm-hmm. thinking and being willing to do that. So, that's where my advice typically yeah. comes in because I have friends even that don't get it. Uh-huh. I have friends, um, it's interesting. I have friends that even maybe have black or brown husbands or children. Mm-hmm. But we're products of our childhood. Mm-hmm. So even at 40 years old or 50 years old, their thinking is the way they grew up. Mm-hmm. Even though they've evolved and seen things, still, you remember what I remember my grandma said that or did it this way. Mm-hmm. So some things stick with us. We just Dude, have to be open. What about like a... Um, for example, like a corporation, right? Like the... the uh do you see lack of uh um participation from people of color like or because uh, you know you're a leader like you're you're willing to step into you be like i'll mm-hmm. i'll create this group or i'll talk about this mm-hmm. is there a little lack of uh, uh i'm not in corporate america so that's why i'm asking sure. i mean sure. i guess we have this business but like it's a yeah. small you know sure. so uh that's why i'm wondering like is there participation um, yes, yes, and I do get involved. I've been involved in previous roles. I'm involved in my um, current uh, company. I'm excited when organizations are open to have these difficult conversations to invest in their people, whether mm-hmm. they're people of color or non-minority as mm-hmm. well. I will say what I have noticed is um, a few years ago, um, again, even including myself with George Floyd, the floodgates opened and you saw all these DEI initiatives Mm. and VPs and these fortune 500 companies. Mm -hmm. I've see it all over the news and now I notice a decline. It's Mm -hmm. getting quieter. I'm even seeing headlines of, is this the decline or is DEI diminishing? Um, I've seen in several organizations, I believe recently four executive DEI leaders have left Fortune 500 companies. Mm. I haven't seen any follow-up. doesn't mean it isn't happening, but no mention of follow-up of them recruiting new leaders to take that position. Um, I personally have had challenges, and you touched on this earlier, of people non-people of color taking those executive roles Mm -hmm. when perhaps they haven't lived that plight that I have. Mm -hmm. If they have, in fact, lived that plight, I would like to hear that part of their bio Mm. before hearing the announcement of here's who we are. Um, It's no different than equating. We talk mental health, and I'm glad to hear more people in 
the black and brown community being receptive of that, especially mm-hmm. for this reason and so many others, but particularly for this because we buried it and we just hold it and it's it's coming out in our health and heart attacks and hard blood pressure and anxiety and all of those things. But if you're sitting across from a therapist who looks nothing like you, who has no clue about your plight, Mm -hmm. they could have graduated top of their class in grad school with a PhD. Mm. How can you help me? And you don't understand the Mm -hmm. shoes that I've walked in. What would you tell... I mean, I'm a CEO. I'm a <laughs> tiny company. <laughs> a um, wonderful company. <laughs> and, um, but, you know, like, I'll speak for this, uh, um, the Latino community a little bit as far as this particular project and numbers mm-hmm. uh, and statistics. I don't want to speak for the uh, Latino yes. community, but. Gotcha. Uh, so the Latinx project put out some numbers, statistics on the Latino uh, impact here in Iowa. And, um, one of those numbers is that uh, the average age, for example, um, for Iowa is like 38 plus, 38. Mm-hmm. The average age for Latinos is 23. Oh, so we're yeah. the youngest demographic. Yeah. Um, um, so that means that all these, uh, uh, this, this, uh, this demographic is going into the workforce. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Or is already in the workforce yes. or is about to after college. Um, a CEO, what would you tell a CEO to make it make sense to them that how this is a, there's an ROI to this uh, DEI uh, uh, conversation. It's not, just, it's not just a um, cultural thing or it's not just to, you know, cr- like how do how do we how do we get that to because CEOs at the end of the day they think yes. about the bottom line absolutely so how absolutely. do how do if you had a, if you had somebody a CEO in front of you yes. what would you say to them to make it make sense and and um, to like be sold into this uh, movement absolutely well you have to look at workforce in general before that candidate walks across your threshold. Mm-hmm. What is your recruiting practice? How are you trying to attract various demographics, whether it's their backgrounds and cultures or that age demographic? You know, my I'm a boomer, mm-hmm. proud to say a baby boomer. <laughs> so when we're getting into Gen Z or, you know, the, that much younger demographic, their needs versus mine are different. Mm-hmm. And so as a CEO you're also working with various demographics, mm-hmm. you know, not just their culture, their, their genders, Age. their ages. What is the need? What is the ethic and the need today for each one? Again, mm-hmm. my needs versus a 23-year-old's can be different. Mm-hmm. Hey, I've been in IT for quite some time, so I'm accustomed to having some flexibility to work from home pre-COVID. Now that COVID has kind of subsided, coming back, more CEOs are talking about coming back in the office. Mm-hmm. Well, are your teams being more productive at home? If they're not, yeah, I can see the reasoning for bringing it. But are you bringing them back without even garnering their opinion of how productive they can be for your company, for your ROI, for your bottom line? Mm-hmm. So, you know, and even in little things oftentimes matter. 
Um, I worked for an organization once that forgot about Black History Month, but mm. yet there were two of us. Mm -hmm. So no matter what, when they're major holidays, mm. to show that cultural balance, mm -hmm. not just for black or brown, mm -hmm. but whether it's Jewish or, and I know you do, but I would say that to any CEO, broaden your reach when you're looking, go into the classrooms, you know, maybe some people in that demographic don't realize that your business even exists mm -hmm. for what you're doing. They think, I've been in healthcare. I used to go out and talk to students. They thought nurse, doctor. Well, I talked to them about radiology technicians and registration clerks and working in clinics, and their eyes just brightened. So, again, it's about more education, but understanding what the need of that mm -hmm. demographic is yeah. as well. It's just, it's amazing to me how, um, you know, hiring retention is big in uh, corporate America, yeah. uh, but yet something as um, environment and culture, um, it, it's kind of being put to the side, yeah. which it's like you yes. spend just as much time at work than at home, so you should want to make it very... You know, yes. I'm I'm here to work, but also like there's a breath of fresh air here because you know I people get it. me, people understand me, and I feel valued. Um, yes, I uh, spoke to somebody that works for a big corporation, and they're in a role of, you know, DEI. Like part of their role is like employee research group or something like that. They, they, sure, sure. The letters change, I guess. But, <laughs> yeah, but. As I'm talking to them, they almost seem like hopeless a little bit because, like, it's a mammoth of a company, yeah. you know, and it just seems like I'm in my mind. I'm like, are you are you making any impact then? Because you're telling me all these roadblocks that you get. Yeah. Um. I don't even know if there's a question. It's just like some sure. it's, these companies have gotten so big that they've lost any human kind of aspects to it. Um, yeah, yeah and it becomes then they a checklist. Yeah, and then it's like maybe some of them are just like, let's put somebody on that role just to say that we have them. And then, mm -hmm. um, but imagine if you were really doing it and uh, executing any strategies. Imagine how robust that company can be even more than just, you know. Absolutely. Um, I've seen it, I've heard it, I, and I don't understand it, but it's, as I alluded to earlier about where I started, and it begins to fade. We're seeing that fade, if you will, uh, where it becomes a checklist. Right. You know, well, we got this off the list, and we can report out for this year or this quarter that we did have some sessions, you know, but... Faith without works is dead, you know. If you're really believing in what you're doing here, then you have to have some action. You don't just put a group of people in a room, talk about DEI, and you leave that room and you don't share that information mm -hmm. of the people on the other side of that door. Yeah, That's not productive. Um, if you say you're going to do something, do it. Right. Keep your word, Yeah, you know. Ask people again, what does this mean for them? Mm -hmm. What would they like to get out of this versus saying, 
here's the list of our format and our agenda topics. Mm -hmm. What do you need to discuss to reach people? Mm -hmm. What's really impacting them? But how do you do that in a safe space? That's what I try to do with Time for Change. I try to set up sessions that make people feel safe mm -hmm. to share. You know, it's kind of like, hey, we're in Vegas. Whatever's said here stays here. Mm -hmm. Let's be honest. There are no stupid questions. You know, I'm not going to allow someone to say something too offensive, to offend mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. But it's okay to ask when you don't understand. And I think corporations need to be willing to do that and not afraid to do that. Some aren't. I give them kudos. Others are afraid. They want, they're afraid if they don't do something, it's a problem. And they're afraid that if it maybe gets a little too far in the weeds, mm -hmm. in my humble opinion, that that could cause a problem as yeah. well. It's, it's uh, um, and maybe you can f follow this, uh, but I think that, um, you know, companies put, you know, they hire marketing gurus to get like, what is the best marketing strategy here? What can we hit the psyche of the consumer, right? Um, I feel like that should be the same thing with your workforce as well. Like, Absolutely. How can we uh, send the message out and how can we touch, you know, it's not that hard. I mean, one client um, mm -hmm. once is like, you know, come and talk to us and help us out here. And then... Um, I was, you know, for their meetings, you know, for like morale. Yeah. And uh, they were buying uh, um, donuts. Ah. And 90% or 90 plus percent of their employees are, you know, Spanish speaking. Mm -hmm. I was like, well, don't buy donuts, buy pan dulce. Let me go yes. to the, yeah. the Mexican store and get. And just tiny little things. Tiny little things. Like don't buy pizza. They don't care about pizza. Yes, yes, <laughs> let's yes. get some let's get some, some pancheros or something burritos tacos you know absolutely. like yeah yeah so it's just like Mix a little a little tweak of something that could make it make such a a huge huge make such an impact because when you don't do that it can make a larger impact mm. in a negative way right it's you just walk away saying my company doesn't think about that doesn't my get me they yeah. don't get me they just, I show up to work, yeah. I earn a living, I earn my paycheck, and yeah. I go home. They, they don't yeah. consider that. And that makes for an unhealthy environment. You know, you're going to get, as a CEO, a re better return on environment for people who are happy mm -hmm. and productive, yeah. for people who are going to support you. And it starts at the top, yeah. you know. You're, you're, how do you expect your people to be productive if you show up when you feel like it? Mm -hmm. if you're, you know, or if you're dumping your work that they know is your work mm -hmm. on them. It's one thing to say, okay, come on, I'm going to help you elevate. I'm going to show you to help you grow. I see the potential in you. Um, where do we see it at the executive level in mm -hmm. these large corporations, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, you're seeing some women, how many people of color, I was thrilled to have the opportunity to meet um, uh, the superintendent over at Ankeny Schools, who mm -hmm. is now a man of color. Mm. Ankeny has his first African-American police chief, uh, Chief Potts, and his wonderful wife, who's mm -hmm. also very involved in DEI over at Mercy Hospital. Just mm -hmm. give a shout out uh -huh. to them. Yeah. You know, but it was exciting to have an opportunity to uh, connect the with new, them. The new Des Moines Public School. Yes, Dr. Ian um, Rogers, I believe. His name. Haven't met him, but excited that he's yeah. here. So I'm seeing change in the metro. I just hope and pray that 
the same people who are supporting them being here are also listening to what they mm-hmm. have to say and being willing to be flexible with change and doing something new. Right. Because we can't continue to do the same thing over and over expecting different results, yes. right? And I kind of want to touch a little bit on that. I, I interviewed a, a Mexican-American woman that's a CEO of a large firm, a global firm that she's out of here. And she said the same thing. She's like, you have to diversify your boards. Yes. You know, you're, yes. uh, you sometimes she's like, sometimes I'm the only woman yes. in the room. Uh, yes. um, and so, so if you want your company to succeed, start at the top, diversify your workforce, diversify yes. your executive management team. Yes. And then it just kind of will trickle down absolutely. to this uh, modern day company. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I agree. Yes. Well, Angie, thank you so much for uh, coming you. and talking with me. Thank and you. I yes. hope that we have more lunches and more absolutely uh, more conversations. So um, we can go on and on and on. I know. But I know. Um, uh, we'll make sure to put your contact information. You you do like what type of work? Um, consulting. Tell, tell us about your services. Well, certainly I right now work for a wonderful major company here in a downtown area, so I have a full-time job. (laughs) So I want to be clear about that. But no, you know, I always make time again in the community to get involved. You know, once you go to my website, Time for Change, um, blacktabletalk.com, you'll be able to see all of the various services I offer, whether it's coming out into the community on academic level, as I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. also from businesses, just to share ideas, to educate in various topics based on the need of the organization or the client. Mm-hmm. So there's certainly flexibility there. Yes. But yeah, thank so you we'll so much. We'll put your much. website. Well, thank you very much again. Thank and, you uh, for I, having we'll, me. We'll have to do it again sometime. Absolutely. All right. Thank you. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by Infinite Resources, a local staffing agency connecting diverse job candidates in central Iowa companies. Amplified.